First Peter is all about the dispersion, the, the believers that are dispersed around the world uh, or that time in, 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 in the world as they knew it and how he was writing to encourage them and writing to help them and knowing that, that this was the time very nearly around the burning of Rome when Nero burned Rome. And, and so he knew that there was going to be persecution. He knew that these guys were going to have troubles. And he was, Peter was writing to them to share, it's coming, be prepared for it, but it's okay because it will be for just a little while. And God will take care of you. And so we're going to, to bring things now to a conclusion. And in these last verses of, of 1 Peter, really just conclude all of the statements that Peter has talked about before this. So last week, we, Peter was preparing the leaders of the church. So the first four chapters, he's talked about the things that are to come, the difficulties, and how to submit, and how we need to be prepared to submit not only to the leaders in the church, but to the leaders of the world as well. That a a beautiful picture of our faith in Jesus Christ is the fact that we listen to and submit to the authorities. And that's not always easy. It can be very difficult. But this is one of the things Peter's calling people to. And he was talking to the elders in the first part of chapter 5, and he's exhorting them, he's encouraging them, he's building them up, because he knows that the body's going to go through a major time of persecution, and the leaders need to be ready to come alongside the body with that. So we saw him do that. And at the end of that, he, he's telling the younger men to be subject, as he's preparing the younger men to be leaders. And now in verse 6, he's going to bring things, in, in the verses 6 through 11, he's going to bring things to fruition, to completion now as we look at that. So if we turn to verse 6 and see what Peter is going to teach the, the, or the believers in the dispersion, he starts out with humility again. So obviously there was a problem with humbleness. There was a problem with humility in the believers, and, and Peter knew that unless they were humble, Unless they were willing to accept what was coming, they were never going to make it through this. So there was a real need for an appropriate behavior, a real need for an appropriate posture, and a real need for these people to understand. And Peter talked about humility over and over again. This is something that was going to be critical for the believers then, and and I really believe for us now. We are so much better witnesses for Christ when we show humility and, and so Peter went on to say that. He says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. The whole concept of humble here is to, to be brought low, to actively seeking lowness, I read as one of the descriptions of, of humble. And I love that concept. Humility is not something that happens by accident. Humility is something that we have to make an effort towards because by nature we are not humble people. There are people who seek the limelight, and it's easy to see pride in some cases in situations like that. But we see other people who are shy, and at some level, we, we ascribe humility to them. But that's not necessarily true at all. So humility is, a, is an actively seeking lowness. So consider that as you think humility. And so Peter is, is encouraging these guys to seek Lowness, to, to look at that, and, and again, he's talking about that in the first five verses of this chapter as well. And, 
and how the, the leaders are to shepherd the flock, but not lord things over them. There's to be a humility of the heart of the shepherd. And humility is a really a heart issue. It's an interesting perspective. We sometimes confuse body position with humility. So when we pray, we often bow our heads to show reverence to God, to show reverence to what he's done. Uh, Nancy brought up as one of the studies that they're talking about having the, the, the women in the study lay flat, a, a prostrate, to, to really be humble and, and before we sometimes confuse body position with humility. Body position can indicate humility, but it doesn't always equate with humility. Humility is a heart thing. We, we are humble in our heart, not in our position. But when our heart drives us to an appropriate position, that's beautiful. That's what God wants from us is an act of, of, of physical, outward physical signs that represent the true inward reality in our hearts. When, when we stand proud in the face of whatever somebody's trying to tell us, so in this case, you could imagine the believer saying, I am humble. Well, probably not, right? With that kind of response, it's probably you aren't humble. And, and it was a response that Peter was asking for. And the ideal response to the, what Peter is exhorting here is a position and heart of humility. And that's what he's after. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. We're looking now at an Old Testament reference here that a symbol of the power of God and how he works in people's lives. He talks a lot about the hand of God moving in. We, in the Old Testament, there's story after story of the hand of God doing this and the hand of God doing that. And it's a symbol here that Peter's referring back to. Right? He's taking these guys back to their roots in, in, of, of being a Jewish and Israelites and saying, remember the hand of God. So under the mighty hand of God, be humble. Well, now it's a lot easier to consider humility when we think of God being the director of humility, isn't it? But it's not so easy to sometimes take and listen to humility when somebody's trying to teach you to be humble that isn't God. So this was a challenge, and he brought God in, because who better to have on your side when you're trying to teach somebody something than God? I can't imagine a better role model, right? What was Peter's response here is, I'm asking you to be humble, but I'm not doing this on my own. It's not that I think humility is good for you. I do. But I think God's telling us humility is necessary, and you must be humble. And then the beautiful part here, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So the whole concept behind this humility is a recognition that we should never exalt ourselves. And it struck me as we had community group last night and we were, we were looking through this, this portion of First Peter, that it's nearly impossible to teach humility by example. By giving examples. Let me rephrase that. It's nearly impossible to teach humility by giving examples of our own lives. One of the things I think you guys typically hear from Chris and Dan and I as we open the word is we share with you our failings. We let you know that we have issues just like all of you have. And it's a very important part of of what we think we need to be as examples. But I can't share with you the times that I've been humble because it immediately takes away my humility. Which is okay because I really don't have any time to share anyway. So I can use that as a crutch to say that I've never been humble in my life, so it's okay. 
Not really, but, but it's an interesting thing. But we get stuck on exalting ourselves. We live in a society where we are to bring attention to ourselves. You want a good job? Show them you deserve the good job, right? You're looking for work? You fill out a resume. And when you fill out your resume, man, you fill it out to look good. You bring out all the positive things about you. It's funny how nobody in their resume puts their failings. I didn't do so well at this job. <laughs> Lost six million dollars on that project. We never see those things. I just finished doing evaluations at the, at the teaching hospital and, and it's an amazing thing how I get emails from people telling me how good they are. Don't forget, I did this and I did this and I did this. And I think what an interesting deal. If you were working in humility, I would have seen all of these things without you telling me. So don't worry about it. And that's what we should be as believers. But, but in the world, we don't see that. Instead, we, we have the exalt yourself. Make everybody know what you've done. Great example is professional sports. So if you're a football fan, the playoffs are coming this afternoon. And, and this is pretty exciting stuff. And what will happen the first time somebody makes a touchdown? They'll dance and prance, throw the ball down, throw the ball up, kick the ball, slam the ball over the goalpost. They'll do something. And the concept is, what in the world are these guys paid for? Right? Every time you do something well at work, John, every time you drive a nail without putting a daisy around it, do you dance? You know, I can remember the last surgery I did, and it went well. I danced around the room. I'd slam down the instruments so everybody would notice it. It's a great example of the lack of humility in the vast majority of cases. Draw attention to yourself. And so it gives us something not to be. It's a picture for us not to want to be like. And why? Do you think in the end when God raises you up and exalts you that that won't be the most beautiful exaltation in the world? Do you think we can exalt ourselves at a, at a minuscule portion of how God can exalt us? I don't think so. So be humble. Wait for God to exalt you. In Matthew, Luke, and, uh, and, and Luke 14 and 18, both, it talks about whoever exalts themselves will be humbled, and whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. In James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will exalt you. In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, there's just a beautiful picture of, of what things should look like. Let's turn to Philippians 2, and we'll read verses 5 through 11. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do we have an example of humility? So you've got that. Whether you've ever seen an example of humility in your life, go to Philippians 2 and it's there for you. The creator of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ who spoke everything you see when you look west, north, east, south into existence by speaking it, humbled himself and became like us. So that he could be an example for us. Was he exalted? That's a picture of what we get to look forward to. We will never have had the humility Christ had. To come from being God to being us. 
but we get the picture of that. God will determine the time of our exaltation. And we have to be careful that don't, we don't miss out on that blessing by lacking our humility. One of the best ways that we can show humility to the world around us is by asking for forgiveness when we mess up. That will set the world on their heels. They don't know what to do with that. They hear sorry a lot, but they don't hear, will you please forgive me because I wronged you. If you want to set the world on their heels and show humility and be an incredible example to them, ask forgiveness the next time you mess up and watch their response. It's an astounding experience. In verse 7, he continues on, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. This is all one sentence now. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you at the proper time. Cast Humble yourself, casting all your anxiety upon him. That's really how it would read. You know, you have, you, when you read grammar, I know very little about it, but I do know that when there's a comma and another comma, the stuff in between can disappear and the sentence can stand on its own. And so if you really read this from the grammatical perspective, you could say, humble yourselves, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. It's a beautiful perspective of looking at at at, at things. We worry about being in control of things. We worry about people noticing what we do. We worry that people will recognize us. That's why I got a bunch of emails this week. Don't forget I did this. Don't forget I did this. And don't forget I did that. They're very concerned that I'm not going to hold them up in high enough esteem on their evaluation. So they want to make sure I see this stuff and and, and think. Now, they had every opportunity to put it somewhere else, but they've doubled it. Right? They really want to make sure I see it. But we don't have to do that. Humble yourselves first. Don't worry about it. God will take care of you. And and he, because he cares for you, casting a to casting away is to cast upon here. So casting all your anxiety upon him is really the putting your anxiety at the foot of the cross. It's not throwing your cares to the wind. It's a different story. I mean, you've heard that, right? Throw your cares and anxieties to the wind. That's not what this verse says. This verse says, cast your anxieties upon him. Put them on God. He wants to take them. He, His burden... He will take it all so our burden can be very light. We don't have to carry anything with us. He wants to carry it all for us. We need to make sure we remember that. And he loves us. Boy, the beautiful picture in Matthew 6. I mean, if you ever question God's love for you and and you want to see a beautiful picture of his love for you, look at Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. I'm going to let you read those on your own because we don't have time to do it today. But man, that is a beautiful picture of his love. The birds of the sky, they want for nothing. And yet you mean more than them. The flowers in the field, not even Solomon looked as good as the flowers in the field, but but they, they wither and die. So it's submission first. We talked about that in chapter four. Humility in chapter five. And finally, Trust God because he will take care of you. Let him handle things. Verse 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. It's a great picture, but I think we often mistake what it really says. 
and and there they, the the concept is found but i think if you dig in it really helps us to understand being of sober spirit literally mean to abstain from things that will dull your mind don't get caught up in that which will keep you from yearning for the father and that can be anything in this instance it it does have some description of wine so so abstain from wine but it also talks about don't fill your life with stuff that you don't have any time left over for God. It could be the greatest thing. You could fill your life with serving people. But you leave out your time to connect with God through studies and prayer. And that's wrong. Don't do something so that it dulls your ability to connect with the Father. Be on the alert. Pay attention. Be prepared. In Matthew twenty four forty two, it tells us he will come back as a thief in the night. We will not know when he's coming. Be prepared. Be ready for the Savior to come back. In 1 Peter 1.13, it says, get ready. Gird your mind for action. Keep sober. Fix your hope. Be disciplined. Be prepared. Because the devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Let's look at the next slide. So... Here's my favorite slide. This is a picture that I took in Africa, and it's a great example of how I always looked at verse 8. The prowling lion slithering, sneaking, going through the tall grass so you can't even see them. So there is a lion in the middle, and if you hit the next slide, it will confirm for you that he sticks his head up. So this was my perspective on verse 8 here in in 1 Peter 5. But really, if if you dig into the word... The picture is the next one. This is what the devil does for us. This is how hidden the devil is. He's not hidden at all. If you look through this verse, when it talks about prowling around, it translates to walking in plain sight. You see, the devil doesn't have to hide from us because we're not that interested in staying away from him. The devil doesn't have to try to sneak around to get into our lives. We welcome him. We see him and we walk right up to him. He doesn't need to be deceptive because we don't worry enough about him. And that's what Peter was trying to say to these guys. Don't dull your senses. Be alert. Don't dull your senses. The devil is waiting to devour you. He doesn't say, boy, you really got to watch out because that devil is sneaky. He's crawling around in the grass. You're never going to see him until it's too late. He's telling you, be alert, guys. He's right there in front of you. He's in plain sight. And he doesn't need to hide because you don't make him hide. You don't make him be sneaky. You're too welcoming. You shouldn't do that. The devourer here talks about drinking down. In many cases, when we think of devouring something, we talk about eating something, right? We devour a pizza. Get a group of teenagers together and they devour. And you can put any source of food you want behind that. They devour it. It's gone. But here, Peter's talking about drinking down to to do that. It's it's easier. This is the one place that this is used. And on all other portions in the Bible where it talks about the devour, it seems to talk about the eating up. It seems as if the, the devil here doesn't even have to chew. He doesn't even have to work at it. We're too easy prey. I wanted to get the 
the video, you've probably seen the video of, of the uh, of Thompson's gazelle running across the, the savannah, right? And it's going, it's like it's gangbuster, just zipping across the savannah. These things are fast, and it runs headlong into a tree. And there's two lions laying there by the tree, right? That's the concept. That's what it looks like, right? It's not that the devil's hiding. They're sitting there going, they'll come to me. I don't even have to go to them. Pay attention. Be alert. Do not dull your senses. And be prepared because the lion, the devil is waiting like a lion for someone to devour. Timothy 4.17, 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul's talking about how he was delivered out of the mouth of the lion because God protected and took care of him. God wants to protect us as well. And Peter goes on in verse 9. He says, but rather, so remember the sequence, be alert, be prepared, don't dull your senses, the devil's out there, instead resist him. Be prepared in doing this. Stand firm in your faith. So he gives us ways to stand up to Satan. He doesn't just leave us and say, the lion's walking in plain sight, be careful. But he tells us how to stay out of it. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Resist, to set against, to withstand. This is a defensive, not a passive motion here. It's not something that we just accidentally do. We don't resist the devil by just standing still and he walks by. We resist the devil by actively moving away. Right? So he's here. We can see him plainly. We get out of the way. Firm here is a hard firm. Right? Standing firm in your faith is a, in, in essence, it's a hard firm. It's, it's like adding an adjective to firm. It's a, it's a diamond hard firm. It's really firm. It's not just firm, but really aggressively firm and trying to stay out of that. And then the suffering. We know that people are suffering. We've, Peter has told us throughout First Peter that there is going to be suffering. Others are suffering with you. Know that it's not just you. You're not on your own. It's okay. There are many others there. Being firm in your faith in 1 John 4, 4 says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So don't worry about the world. The world can't hurt you if you're alert, if you're paying attention, if you resist the devil. You are from God, and he has overcome the world. That means your nemesis, Satan, who's out there prowling in broad daylight, can't hurt you. If you stand firm in your faith of God, you have an out. There's no reason to fret. So your anxiety is at the foot of the cross. Be humble. Stand firm in your faith. And you'll be okay. It's going to be fine. So valuable to recognize that we are in the world, not to be of the world, There are other people suffering alongside us, and that's the beauty of the body of Christ, right? If you go to Africa, and an animal gets separated out from the herd, one of the hoofstock, and there are predators out there, they make easy game. The colors and the body shapes at some level of the animals in Africa are designed to add confusion. Zebra stripes. 
perfect camouflage. Now you look at it and you say, but the world's in color and zebras live in black and white. There's no camouflage to a zebra. But with all the stripes, the predators can't tell what's what. So the stripes add to the confusion. When the group stays together, it works. When they get separated, they're no longer confusing. It's the same thing with us. Cling to the body. Get involved in community groups. Make sure that you have people that have your back. Because there's going to be struggles. There's going to be suffering. Be in the body to do that. And here's, here's the verse that just makes you go. Verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while... The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. If you don't take a great big breath of sigh there, my favorite words, you should check your pulse. But God, God to the rescue, God will limit the suffering for a little while. 1 Peter 1, 6, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. God doesn't intend to give us trials beyond what we can handle, either in amount, intensity, or time. If you are in the midst of what seems like an indeterminable length trial, recognize it's what he has for you for perfection. Don't worry. It will last as long as it needs to for your benefit and for the benefit of the kingdom. God's called us to himself. He's made us perfect in 1 Corinthians 1.10. No division, being of the same mind and judgment. In Romans 8.16, the spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. Strengthening us in Thessalonians, God, Jesus and God will strengthen us. The Lord will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And in Romans 16, it talks about, Paul is talking to, about Jesus and he's saying, Him who is able to establish us. After a little while, you will suffer. But Christ Himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In verse 11, Peter finishes up, he, he summarizes this into him, right? So we just talked about Christ. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, condemn, strengthen, confirm, I'm sorry, strengthen and establish you. He won't condemn you. To him, to God, be the dominion forever and ever. Peter now is acknowledging God controls all things from the beginning, the forever, to the end. Forever. Everything. From the dawn of time till the end of time, God has been, is, and will be in control. He is not limited by our lifespan. He is not limited by our failings. He is. Period. And the final word here, amen. It is true. When we say amen, most of us don't even know why we say it. It fits, right? We say it at the end of a prayer because that's what we do. But when you say amen, do you realize that when I pray and you say amen, 
It's the equivalent of you standing up and screaming at the top of your lungs. That's true. You might consider waiting to hear what I have to say more. Isn't it a beautiful thing? So Peter finishes up here. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is true. It is complete. He finishes the letter with some salutations uh, about Silas and, and to the church and greeting each other and, and peace. But he has brought his letter to completion. He has brought the, the churches of the dispersion to a point where now they should be ready and prepared for what is, comes before them. So as we summarize this, we hear a lot about persecution. We hear about perfection or perfecting, protection, perseverance, submission, and humility. One of the things I want to encourage you to recognize is that humility is not equal weakness. Humility is a heart thing. You can be humble and stand up for what is right. You can be humble and, and fight for the kingdom. It's not a weakness attribute, but it starts right here in the heart. So much of what we learn from God's word points to our hearts. We respond when our hearts are right. False humility is no worse than, or no better than pride. False humility will get you in the same place that being prideful will get you. When you think humble, think of Jesus. The Creator came to earth, walked among us, saw us in our worst, still was willing to hang on the cross and die for us in spite of what we had to offer Him. And was exalted, just as God promised, sits now at God's right hand. And he's building a house for us. And he's been gone for some time. So I like to think about, he spoke everything we see into existence in the matter of days. For some 2,000 years, he's been making rooms for us. Those are going to be some pretty nice rooms. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truths. I thank you so much for speaking to us through your word. I thank you for not leaving us and forsaking us. I thank you for, for helping us be prepared for the difficult times that no doubt will be before us. But I'm also thankful to know that you will be right beside me to help me walk through those times. Lord, I think of the poem of Footprints and just how, how beautiful of an example it is about how you carry us in the difficult and challenging times and how you never desire for us to be left alone. You never desire for us to be out on our own, Lord. But you desire to come alongside us and to lift us up and to buoy us up and to encourage us and to work on us, Lord. Because you're not satisfied with leaving us in our failings, but you want to bring us to perfection, to completion. So, Lord, would you please continue to do that for us? 
And would you continue to build in us a reverence for you and a desire for you that we would proudly proclaim to the rest of the world in our identifying with you. So thank you for this letter from Peter and thank you how it intersects our lives today just as much as it did to the churches of the dispersion some 2,000 years ago. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.